Welcome to the Play Golf in College podcast with all things junior golf and college golf. Now here are your hosts, Coach Mark McDonald and PGIC founder, Coach Brad Sparling. All right, welcome back to the Play Golf and College podcast, where we talk about all things junior golf and college golf. This week, we have Mike Small, the head men's golf coach at the University of Illinois, on with us. And Mike is absolutely one of the best coaches in the country. His big his um, Illinois team has won nine out of the last ten Big Ten championships. He's had two NCAA individual champions, numerous All-Americans, just dominated Big Ten golf over the last decade and a half or so. A lot of his players have gone on to have successful careers on the European PGA Tour and the PGA Tour. And this is just going to be packed with information from Mike on how do you create a winning culture? How do you create an environment conducive to success? How do players get better? Uh, How do you practice correctly? How do you develop fearless golfers? This is just one of my favorite podcasts of all time. So listen up. Here we go. Mike, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. We're really excited about hearing your thoughts. Um, to get started, please just tell us about your coaching philosophy and, and um, you know, how you work with your players. Well, that's a that's a, a pretty tough question to lead off with right there. But I'm not going to give you an easy one. <laughs> Well, my coaching philosophy is that uh, I let the players play. They have to be who they are. There's parameters that our program has to operate under. I believe that. I believe there's imperatives and parameters that all good organizations have, uh, rules, expectations. But, again, I don't want to uh, stunt their individuality either. I don't believe they have a team full of robots and everybody that follows just your way of how to play the game, but there's imperatives you have to have. So, um, that's important. And, um, you know, these kids have to have fun. Um, I believe that you have to have a positive, optimistic, um, environment, encouraging environment, fun environment, but it's gotta be accountable. And I think, uh, when kids understand that and they understand that, that, uh, they're here to get a great education, they're here to prepare themselves for a possible life in golf after college. But they're here to uh, to explore and have fun and, and, and to see how good they can be. And these kids are truly, truly curious about how great they can be at this game. Because nobody knows how great anybody can be. You may think you can be great. You believe you can be great. But you really don't know. And if you're really curious and you come in here and you just let yourself submit to some of the rules, the imperatives we're talking about, some of the, 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 the culture, I guess you will, if you're looking for a word. Um, and, uh, we will let you thrive in this culture. We'll let you be yourself. But I believe having played professionally for a long time and coached for a long time, that there's, there's imperatives and there's habits that you have to have. Give us a little bit more on that. What are those imperatives? What's the culture? What do you demand from your players? Well, I demand honesty. I demand effort and I demand caring for each other. I think that's important. I think, um, a lot of these kids, Nowadays, I shouldn't say nowadays, maybe kids in general at this age, they don't really know. They never really know what it's like in their body to really how, how awesome a feeling it is to care about something more than yourself. You know, their their whole life for 18 years has been about them and just and, and justifiably so. It's been about them. Their parents have been there for them, their teachers for them, their 
their PGA pro, their coaches, it's all been about them. And they've got to a certain level and playing wise, but the joy in life and the joy in anything you do is, is, is having that success, but sharing it with others and coming together with others. And as, as adults, we learn what it means to care about somebody more than yourself. Once you get married, once you have kids, it's an unbelievable feeling. And, and I think when these kids come to school and they realize that the University of Illinois is a place where they want to be, they want to be there, part of that the rest of their life, and their teammates are friends the rest of their life, they will be more accountable to themselves and they will play harder and play more optimistically and positively and accountable-wise and compete at a level if they're doing it more for somebody else than just themselves. And, and once they gravitate that and feel that and they feel that, 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 that they learn that emotion, that humanistic emotion that it is to... To, to, to care for something more than yourself, it, great things happen, good things come out. And that's, that's what motivates people, I think. That's what spurs people on to be um, successful. And it's just not all about themselves. Now, you have to have selfishness in yourself to play golf. Golf's a very selfish sport. It's a very selfish life. But if you can mix in and, sh- and learn these other, these other emotions, I think it become, you become a better player. Yeah, that's a wonderful message. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's funny how when I think back on even my my college career, or even when I was when I was coaching for the couple of years after I graduated, the things that I remember now were all team based things. Nothing whatsoever about really individual or things that I did while I was there. It's all um, the things that happened as a group or what we accomplished as a team. Yeah, and you know, I think you guys have said this in our program for almost eighteen years, nineteen years since I've been here. But it's it, it's it, it's a compliment to the program when players become better and get better at the game and improve when they don't even know they're improving. It just happens. They just, it, yeah. there's caught in that, in that vortex caught in that growth and they don't even sense themselves getting better, but they start to win. They start to do the little things. They on the golf course, did little things off the golf course, little things that they're not, they're not these big transformational moments where it's, wow, this is the secret. It's just little things that add up after a while and you start having success and then before you know it, two years later, you're an All-American. And it's like, how'd that happen? Well, it's just, it's just a conglomeration of a bunch of little things, I believe, that you do well. And that comes with a, with a culture. But you have to have kids that want to buy into the culture, too. And with all programs and coaches, we've had kids over the years that push back and don't want to do that. And you still you try to inspire, you try to coach, you try to bring them into the fold. And um, if they decide to do that, um, they see the success. Some kids don't, and they, they hold off. And those kids, um, you know, may have to find a different way to do it. And, um, but I think that's the strength of a program and an organization is you don't sacrifice. You don't, you don't, um, you don't lower your expectations for that. Hey Mike, could you talk a little bit about the, the evol? it kind of goes with this, but with, with the culture of Illinois, talk a little bit about the, the, the evolution of Illinois golf and how it's come to be as it is now. Uh, we know those really great programs throughout the country. Don't just, it doesn't just happen and it takes some time. Uh, what are some things that have happened over the years that have, have gotten you guys to where you are now? Well, it's, it, I've been told by friends close to me, and I've been told by other great teachers and instructors that I need to step back and kind of re, recall and reflect on what we've done at Illinois. And I'm not, I'm not wired that way. I'm always, I'm, I'm always on the next shot. or the, you know, I'm, always, I'm always trying to do something better. And I never, I never step back and think about it. And I've been doing this more lately. And I don't know if it's healthy for me or not because I'm so driven and I want to go the next hole, the next tournament, the next recruit, the next thing. But um, if you look back at it, it's been a pretty incredible deal um, where we've come from 150th in the country, last in the Big Ten 18 years ago, to where we've, we've, we've had 
really 15 good years out of 18, if you look at the paper. But to, to, to go to, what, well, how many have been, 14, 15 national championships and 11 in a row right now, which is the second longest streak in the country um, behind Texas, who has one more than us, to have that consistency um, is something that you would hope to have had when you start, first started coaching. If you believe, you know, you, mm-hmm. you hope you can do it. But you don't really count on it because golf in the Midwest Besides Ohio State teams back in the 70s and 80s, it's never really been sustained for a long time. And if you look at our record the last 12 or 13 years, we've actually surpassed that era um, and very, very close or surpassed that era of Ohio State, which we have so much respect for, which I played against back in the day when I was at Illinois, and I saw that. And I wanted to build something like that here. And when you look at it and you have, you know, what do we have, six or seven top eight finishes, four final fours, and a runner-up, two individual national champions in the last seven, eight, eight years. It's, it's, um, it's something that you, again, you didn't hope having, but you, you, you hope, but you didn't believe it. It was one of those things where yeah. it was that pie in the sky thing, but it, it got back to just getting down in the, in the, in the dirt and, and following your, your, my instincts and how you want to build your program. Some of the best advice I ever got was from the coaches that it's your program. You do it the way you think it should be done. Mm-hmm. You ask other coaches, you ask for opinions, but there's too many followers around too many people. Who's, who, who's following that recruit? Well, I'm going to go follow him or, or what are they playing? And I'm going to do that as a coach. I think if, if you really take ownership in your life and your program, you do what's best for your program and what's for how you want to run it. And I've taken a lot of advice. I've had a lot of help. Don't get me wrong. And I've had a lot of people, a lot of mentors that are good friends of mine, but when it's come down to making decisions and that fork in the road, you got to go whichever you feel best with. And we've built this program from, from the ground up. You know, there were some things we had to have when I first got here. You had to have, you had to have um, facilities. You had to have an alumni base. You needed money. You had to have a pre- presence on the PGA Tour. You had to have there's all these things you had to build, you know, scheduling and, 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 and a, a, a game plan, a mission statement. And I think the ability of where I came off of playing on the PGA Tour and playing and for 10 or 12 years, um, having some success, but also having a lot, of, a lot of failure during that time helped me coach because not only did it teach me the game and keep me in the game for so long, but it gave me the, the confidence to know that I've been up and down, that, I, that, that, that I've got it, you know, that, that, that I've seen it and I've, and I've been there. And I wanted to come in and just, and just build something. And I loved Illinois and I loved the University of Illinois. And, and, and so that was the advantage that I had and the game plan, and then just roll my sleeves up and did what I wanted to do and, and, and get people that buy into our process, people that want to support us from the alumni, from, the, from, the, from, uh, from, from people outside the program to our players, and the culture just kind of grew. And I settled on three things when I first got here, self-responsibility, um, accountability, and respect. And that's where it all started. And then it kind of blossomed into this, uh, into this um, optimistic, positive thing where where people want to be a part of this and it's got to be fun. It's got to be infectious. Um, but again, I will trump, I'll trump everything by what I'm saying about any kind of program you run or any kind of organization, you have to have talent. You can't make chicken bleep out of, you know, right. Chicken, you know, you, yeah. you can't make chicken salad <laughs> out of chicken bleep. How's that? But, um, uh, so, so you had to get the talent. So I give a lot of credit to my guys, a lot of credit to the kids that bought in, but they had talent. We recruited kids that can be good that we're good and and it just perpetuates and grows on. So years ago at the big 10 championships, I'd ask you a question about your program and uh, you know, I'm trying to learn as much as I can from you. And one thing you said that really always 
stuck with me and I use it with, with my players and our players all the time. And you said most people, you know, when they practice, when they work, they kind of put 90% into it. And then they get to a tournament. They're like, Oh boy, this is really important. Now we really got to focus, put a hundred percent into it. And you're like, what we're trying to do is different. We're trying to put a hundred percent into every moment, work really, really hard during the week. And then when we go to a tournament, I'm trying to get them to relax and have fun. And then they play better like that, that comment on that. Cause I thought that was, that was awesome. Well, thanks for remembering that. And that is a big staple of our program too, is that I believe in anything you do, you prepare, you put the work in, you put the time, the effort, the conviction, the concentration, the focus, it's work, it's preparing anything in life that's worth getting takes effort, takes planning. You do that here, so you work at home, and then the tournaments are supposed to be fun. That's your reward for the work you put into it. And if you go relax and trust the process that you put in, and you go, you go um, just go to compete, and and you have a better chance of success. I learned that on playing on the, on the PJ Tour. And you know, some of these kids, they they they're relaxing at home, they're enjoying time, they're kind of going through the motions, they're putting time in, but they're not really practicing. And then the closer the event comes, they start cramming for it, cramming for it. Right. And they get to the tournament, you see them on the range, lined up on the range, whacking balls, whacking balls, trying to find it, trying to find it. That never happens. That's no different than cramming for your final exam. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, if, if you do a little bit every week in school and you go to class and do your work and it builds, it builds. The little things we talked about earlier, the little things add up. At the end, you're ready to compete. You have, you have faith and trust and confidence in yourself. And mm-hmm. so I believe that in everything you do. You work hard. And when the time, moment comes to compete, the moment comes to lay on the line, if you're taking deep breaths, relaxing, enjoying the moment, enjoying your teammates, enjoying the challenge, the better chance of success you have. Now, you, you know, kids have to realize we talk about it all the time. You can't confuse effort with accomplishment just because you practice hard, you prepare hard, you show up every day and you do the drills and you read the books and you go prep. It does no guarantee you're going to succeed. Some kids don't have to practice as hard as others. Some kids don't have to practice at all and they can go win. They're just natural players. The, the, you know, the Fred couples of the world, those mm-hmm. guys are they're great for them. That's awesome. But some kids think that, Oh, if I just work hard coach, I'm going to be good. Or if I just come to this school, I'm going to be good. No, you have to have the ability to answer the bell when the, when the tournament comes. And if you're relaxed and focused and you've built up some credibility in your own mind, the chance for success is better. Love that. That's great advice. Awesome. One other comment from watching you work with your players and um, how they play and their success going out on tour right away. You've done an incredible job of developing a lack of fear, in my opinion, amongst your players. When they go out on tour, they are not scared, and that is unusual. How do you develop that mindset? Well, that's a, that's a great question, great comment, too, and I appreciate that because we've had five or six guys get their PGA European Tour cards at 21, 22 years old, and that's something we take a lot of pride in. We've always talked about our program. You know, Back when I played in college golf, you played college golf, you got your degree, and if you wanted to play professional golf, you spent three, four, five, six, seven years in the mini tours learning the game. Well, we want, I want to teach these guys in school here for four years at Illinois. I want this to be their learning curve of the mini tours. They should be ready to go emotionally and mentally and physically if they're talented enough to give it a chance right away and, 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 to, and to, to, to deal with the adversity and deal with some of the, sh- the ups and downs of professional golf life. If we can teach them that here, what a better way to, 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 to go about your profession. We need to shorten that learning curve. We don't want guys to come here for four years and then have to go learn more golf for four or five or six. Now, some have to, but we talked to them early about this, and this is what we want them to do. And I think, I think if you run your practices and you run your culture and you run 
you run your business like the level they want to aspire to, um, they're prepared for it. And we talk about it. And it gets back to the honesty thing. You know, I'm very honest with the kids and they understand that and their parents. And if you tell somebody they're not very good at something, this is the honest to goodness truth. You're not good here. If you want to get to this level, you're not good enough right now. And they believe you and they trust you when they do practice and they start getting better. And then you look them in the eyes two years later and say, you know what? You are getting good. You're getting there. They believe you because you've been on both sides of the spectrum. If you're one of the coaches that always sit there and everything's great, everything's awesome. You're great. Great. Good job. We lost this week, but you did a great job. You're doing this. After a while, you know, the more you say something to to a person, the more the more you say the same thing, the less meaning it has. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's it's one of those things where kids build confidence, and I believe that you do that. You, you you don't break them down, but you be real with them and show them where the game is and where the level they're at, and the plan to get there. And then when they start knocking off those pieces day by day, then after a while you sit there and say, you know what? Listen to me. I've been out there. I've seen it. I've succeeded and failed. And right now you're at the level where you can get this done. You, it, it can happen. They believe you. And it's a huge sense of, of belief primarily because I've been there. I've seen it. They trust me. And I've been honest with them during the process that, you know what? Hey, you're not very good at this. You can't lag putt your golf ball. Lag putting is one of the instances of golf that people overlook. It's one of those little, little imperatives, a little things in the game of golf that hold around together. Either holds a great round together or it stops a bad round, little things like that. And if you tell them you have to pay attention to these things, you're getting better at it. It's amazing how those building blocks just come together and they feel better about themselves. So I'm proud of those guys. But again, to their testament, they have had the courage to go do it. I'm a coach and I, I believe, totally believe this, that in, if you really, you know, coaches are important and, and organizations are important and culture is important. But that person has to have what's inside. If they, I tell my guys, if you come to Illinois and you become an All-American, and you win a national championship, you won the national championship. You became an All-American. I didn't do it for you. Now, if you come to Illinois and you average 78, you never play an event. You average 78 and didn't play an event. I didn't do that to you. So it's a point of accountability. So coaching, you want to inspire, you want to grow, but they have to understand it's their career, it's their education, it's their golf game. And when they start having that success within those parameters, they start believing in themselves because they've taken ownership of it. Yep, that's great. Hey, Mike, what specifically do you think uh, in those players that end up being the ones who make it out on tour, what, what's different about some of those players specifically, whether that's uh, what's going on between their yeah. ears or from a, a playing ability level? What do you think is different about those players? The players that I've coached and done here, they've, they've had very good habits. They've had very good dreams. They, they, they see themselves out there. Um, and they've continued – the culture that was established here, the 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 habits, they've taken them right onto the tour, and you can talk to some of the guys. They've had they've they made three four million dollars the first three four out, years out, and then they kind of struggle maybe for a year or two or six months or maybe longer. I think they lose that culture that you try to establish. I think you know being a professional golfer is a very hard profession because so mm-hmm. so much of it like life is who you hang out with, yeah. who you surround yourself with. What kind of reinforcement do you get from people around you? What kind of habits you make? And I think what I pride ourselves on, when these kids turn pro, when they're still in school and then they decide to turn professional, they carry on the habits that they had here. And um, I think you'll, you, some of them will admit that they've lost those habits after time. And that's when I get back involved or go back out and we talk about it. But um, and expectations are a big thing too, I think. I think expectations 
are just as much a hindrance as they are an asset. I think if you need to be realistic, you need to believe, but expectations, if you, I think their expectations are tempered because they realize they're in the moment and they, and, and results take care of the process. And um, I don't think they're, I think they're confident, but they're not cocky. They're, 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 I think all good athletes, all successful people have in the back of their mind that they could lose. If I don't prepare correctly or I don't do this correctly, I could get beat. There's a little bit of, there's a little bit of fear in the back that is compounded by the fearlessness of playing, but there's that apprehension in the back that says, if I don't prepare or I don't show up on the first tee in the right posture or I don't have my, my gear right, um, I could get beat. So they attend to those issues. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of they're the they're using that little bit of fear as, as fuel as well. Yes. I, I, I think guys like Michael Jordan, I studied him a lot, and one of my favorite athletes growing up, I think he hated to lose more than he loved to win in a lot of instances. And then I think that's a common denominator of all great players in any yes. sport. They hate to lose. That's exactly right. And these guys want to go out there and compete. Now, they're excited, but I guarantee you they hate to lose. Losing is is just it's miserable. And, we've, and they've learned in this program, we talk about it all the time, there's nothing worse in the world than playing golf scared or fearful. It's, it's, it's miserable. I've done it. Um, last year I had some good starts. I had three top tens in the champions tour and I was playing fearless golf. And then all of a sudden I fell back into some bad habits of expectations and trying to build it up and parlay this run I'm got going. And I started protecting, which is fear. I started, uh, worrying, which is fear. And, and I saw it. So, you know, these kids understand that. And when they prepare here, there's nothing worse than, than, than playing golf with that apprehension, that fear. It's, it's, you would rather, you would rather have an unpleasant job your whole life, and have no worry, you know, have no worries, but have to get up and go to work no more than you would to play golf fearful. It's just, it, you, it, it's, it's a very uncomfortable feeling, and we try to just, we don't allow our guys to have that. We, 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 we put them on notice every day about how bad that is, and how, how uncomfortable that is, and how it's not healthy for a, for a life for, to, to, to go about your business. So, um, the fearless factor you're talking about earlier is something we that's how we kind of breathe that out of them is that is that um it's a wonderful game it's a wonderful deal but you have to play from strength you know there's a spectrum there's fear and there's strength and you got to be on this side of the spectrum and if you're on this side it's a coach's responsibility to bring them back to, to, to make them not to, to acknowledge it and let them aware of it now it's their responsibility to have the effort to bring them back but we have to have all of our guys on this side of the spectrum. And when you have eight or nine guys or six guys on this side of the spectrum, then it just grows and you're, you're a strong force. If you have one or two over here that are playing scared and got the driver yips and they're worried and you don't get them back on this right side, at least with their actions and their attitudes, it draws people to that side because humanistically it's easier to be negative. It's easier to be a human being. It's easier to be negative and worry and fearful than it is to be positive and optimistic and encouraging. It's harder to do that. It takes more effort to do that. Yeah. So that's what a coach has to do. And if you can get your team more breeding that thought, um, then it brings those people from the negative side over. It's, it's, it's a pendulum type deal. And, and that's, um, that gets with these guys when they go on tour, they're, they're surrounded by positive people. They need to stay surrounded by positive people. They need to go to dinner with the right players. You need to stay away from the complainers. You need to stay away from the guys who are always griping about the conditions. You need to gravitate to the people that have a positive attitude. And I think your chances go way up for success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those, those attitudes are, whether good or bad, are very infectious uh, to the people around them. Uh, it's I, everything. Let's transition to recruiting a little bit. And then we're going to ask you about a couple of funny stories. But I've, I've got, I don't know if you'll remember this, but you said that there was a, 
preconceived notion that you couldn't be really successful at the very highest level if you had a team in the Midwest. And you've obviously proven right. that over the last 15, 18 years that you absolutely can. And you were telling me a story about some kid you were recruiting from over in uh, Northern Europe, I think. And this kid was looking at schools down south. And you said, do you play 12 months out of the year right now? And the kid goes, no, obviously not. Well, why do you want to go down south and play 12 months out of the year? You can come here and do what you're doing right now. Isn't that what you want? Absolutely. And that kid obviously went to Illinois. I don't remember specifically who you were talking about, but I thought that was a great story. Well, that's a funny story. And the story came from the coach in the south of a top program that we were recruiting uh, Thomas Dietrich for. Thomas Dietrich is a successful pro on the European tour now. He's a top, you know, he's he's kept his car over there for four or five years, three, four years in a row. And great kid, one of the best kids I've ever coached. And um, uh, Thomas Peters had come here from Belgium before him. Okay. that always helped too, obviously, to have have a national champion help you recruit a former a, a fellow player from over yeah, there. That but, helps. <laughs> but um, but the coach comes up to me one day and says, uh, "Small, I can't believe it. I've never had a kid choose a northern program over my program because of the weather." And he just started laughing. <laughs> he told me it was because of the weather, coach. I'm going to Illinois, and and if you if you think about it, I mean, you know, recruiting is relationships. Um, you don't lie, but you try to be real. You know, you just try to lay all the facts out. And, and I told Thomas, and he understood this. He, he got it, too, and he understood it right away. If you're a top 10 or 15 player in the world and you've grown up in this culture, in this weather, you're doing something right. Maybe he needs some downtime. Maybe he needs time to train and time to just relax and, and get away from it. Um, mm-hmm. I know going down south is a great thing. It's, 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 some people think they have to have it. If they have to have the weather, then they need to go south. I tell them that. Then you need to go. But some people have balanced their life and gotten so good at the game and they've gotten good enough to be recruited by us. Why would you want to change that, that, uh, that formula up? You need some balance. And I learned that as a professional golfer. I mean, I don't, even the pros that live in the South don't play golf all year round. They got, Mm -hmm. they take some time off. So getting back to the recruiting thing, I think if, 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 if a player finds a culture and the people he wants to be around and an environment where he can succeed and be happy, I think that is so much more valuable than the weather um, because who you surround yourself with and the attitudes we talked about earlier and the growth that you can, your happiness that you have is more important than going out and actually just maybe having a few more days of golf. Um, right. I think you grow better with people around you. So, um, but yeah, you know, recruiting is an inexact science. It's one of the things about the job. At times I love it. Other times I hate it. Um, it but it's a necessary evil. And um, um, but the best thing about it is the relationships. You find out really right away who, who you can really meld with and grow with. And, and when you find somebody you really like and enjoy, you recruit them as hard as you can. Right. So you're obviously recruiting really, really skilled golfers from around the world. What specifically are you trying to discover or what are you evaluating when you're watching them play? Everything. Everything. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> Everything <laughs> sums it up. <laughs> Not one is more important than the other. Everything. And people ask me, I, everything. I mean, I watch the way they grip it. I watch the way they walk to the tee. I watch how they wear their clothes. I watch how they respond to success or failure from people. I respond. I watch how they, how they interact with their parents. I watch how they interact with their kids. I watch, I mean, other kids in the, they're playing against. I watch uh, the speed. I watch their fundamentals. I watch how their parents react with other parents. I watch how. I mean, I've, I've watched how they mark their golf ball. Um, I look at their grades. I watch, I talk, I, I, re, I do everything. I don't, I don't think there's one thing more important than another. 
Um, do you always get the answers? No, the correct answers, but you watch and observe and, and it's amazing how body language can tell you so much how a young man thinks and how mm -hmm. he operates. And, um, but you, but you, you know, just the confidence, um, that sees, that sees things and how they communicate and do they smile? Do they not? You know, there's not a right or wrong answer to that one either. Um, it's just, how's the whole piece come together and you watch it, you observe, you just gonna let it sink in and. You know, I'm not an analytical coach. I don't look at numbers and chase rankings and this guy head to head and what's his what's his percent. I don't even coach my guys that way. I'm a whole. I look at the picture. I let it just sink in. I watch their swing. I watch. The, you know, look at their averages. Um, I can watch how they play and then watch talk to them and ask them questions and it all kind of sinks in and becomes just a kind of a puzzle comes together and you decide whether you want them or not and you go recruit them. But I don't. I don't. I think you can outthink yourself a lot in this thing. I think you just observe and watch and just everything and, and and go with your gut mike I'm, sh I'm sure there are some some commonalities if you look at the players that you've recruited over the years uh what would be some of those things or what would be some of those commonalities that those type of players have whether that's in their game or some of those uh some of those other aspects as more of a holistic approach that those specific players have well not a lot of them have have had similarities in their game and that's what's weird is I, I, I'm not a method program. I'm not a method teacher. I don't think I don't think everybody should swing the same way or grip it the same way or they should play golf the same way. I mean, Dylan Meyer peaked at number two in the world two years ago, and him and Thomas Peters are on both sides of the spectrum, on the farther side of the spectrum, and Scott Langley might be right between them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, Brian Campbell wasn't that highly recruited, and he ended up being a two-time regional champion and two-time, three-time All-American. There's, I, I've had a potpourri of free of, of golfers. I mean, they've been all over the map. They fit with me. They, I just, there's just, there's just a, a connection, a chemistry that, that they like and I like, and they're good people. They're good people. They're, they're willing to let themselves be absorbed into a program. You know, Dylan might have been the toughest with that. But if you ask him now and you watch his last two years at Illinois, he would die for this place. I mean, he's wearing Illinois everywhere. He's coming to games. And here's a kid who grew up watching the Indiana basketball and football in down, down in southern Indiana. Um, and he's very he's, he's a very great he's a great player because he's got a lot of selfishness in him, which all pros have to have. Yeah. But he always did it his way. But here's a guy who um, who submitted himself and came into the culture and came into the thing. And look what it, and he, he's a he's a believer. And but kids have to want to do that. And these kids want to do that. I would talk to them about that. And um, and I think that's a big thing, too. But golf wise, I I look at if if a young man for watching play three or four rounds and he's he's not consistent with this. His, his short iron's got to be low, in my opinion. Long iron's got to be high, you know, tending that way. They all work all about the same. I think the distance control has got to be got to be above average for me. They got to be able thinking about distance control where they want, you know, the distance of their irons. Um, they have to like put the golf ball. You know, people ask me who are who are good putters. How do you know a kid's a good putter? A good kid, a junior is a good putter if he wins, because you can't win if you don't putt well, in my opinion. Now, if you consistently finish 15th or 20th, you might be a great ball striker, but maybe not be able to putt. Vice versa. But if you can win, um, you have the ability to put the ball in the hole. Um, but I watch the ability, you know, speed off the tee. And in today's world, distance is a big deal if you have it. And you can do those other things, then you're a star, then you have a good chance. But Dylan didn't have the speed, but he had the other things. He, his, he knew where his ball was going. He knew he knew the distance of his golf ball. Then he came in with Nick Hardy, who was another first-team All-American who won multiple Big Ten championships. 
Um, he had some deficiencies in some areas, but man, he was a grinder, a competitor extraordinaire, and he could putt mm-hmm. his golf ball. And he was never out of a hole because of his intangibles, his just guts, and and he drove it really good. Now his short game wasn't the best, and it's still getting. He knows it's still got to get better, but you talk about a quality individual that you would want on a team. So you look for these things, and like I said, the whole thing comes together in a puzzle, and and just you feel good about it. Um, I've never really recruited anybody. I shouldn't say never, but very few times I recruit somebody that I'm not so excited about. You know, some guys just go for a ranking whether they like the kid or not. Can the kid play? Well, it's an individual sport. I'm going to bring him in here. That doesn't work here. It, 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 they got to fit together as a puzzle. Cool. That's awesome. I want to I want to ask one thing. I know, Brad, you were talking about recruiting. I want to go back to one thing that I'm kind of curious about as well. Uh, we, saw, we talked a little bit about being a Midwest school, uh, and obviously this time of the year, it's a little different preparing for a tournament versus maybe in the fall with the weather we've got. Uh, what are some of the things that you guys do well during this time of the year as you're preparing for your spring season? Or maybe what advice would you give the the junior golfer that we work with or some of the college players in this area as they're preparing for right. their spring season? Well, this is a frustrating time. If you want, We all want to play golf. Yeah. But so you just can't. There's things you can't do. And, and the advent of Instagram and the advent of Twitter have made, you know, people are always seeing somebody else. Somebody else has got something better. And they're always worried about other people's lives instead of their own. They're always watching somebody else instead of taking care of their own business and enjoying their own time in this on this on, on earth, you know. And and so now we're seeing guys playing golf in February. Other teams are out there playing. It's it's been a distraction because it gets away from our point of view and our and our our, our plan. And we've had success. The first year we had our facility, we have a great facility. It's awesome. The first year we had it open 10, 11 years ago. We shot lower score. Everybody in our team, everybody on our team shot lower scores in February than their fall averages. Wow. Usually when you go to Florida really in February, cool. oh, it's rusty. I got to knock some rust off. Well, we had guys going out and beating their averages because the way it's evolved in our program is that I believe the way you learn and the way you can, the way you learn a, a skill, the best way to do it is in a static environment. Now, not, not, not meaning hitting into a net. We don't hit into nets. We hit inside to out. We see our balls fly. We have a 7,000, almost 8,000 square foot indoor chipping pitching area, which is, which is designed with a purpose in mind that I believe if you show up every day and you're working on a skill or an action or a movement or some kind of technique and the hole is the same, the green is the same, the temperature is the same, the environment is the same, you can actually do it and track your progress and grow and gain confidence in what you're doing. You see the improvement. If you go on a golf course and the pins are changed the next day or the greens are, are, are wet or soft or it rains for two days and you can't do it, or, hey, we're going to play and you end up playing for three days in a row without practicing something for three days, you lose that momentum. And I think that if you, for two months, if you go through and you do your ball flight in the bays and you you know, you're focused with the driver and you work on distance control with your wedges and you go in, you're light putting from 40 and 30 and 20 feet and you're doing your putting drills and you're getting up and down from around these areas. Our short game areas is unbelievable. It's so realistic and it's harder to chip in there than normal. And if you go practice and chip and putt from the same place every day, working on your technique, you know, we're engaging the bounce correctly or getting the club outside your hands or, or whatever it may be. If you do that every day for 20 minutes a day, half hour a day, and you do all those things, and um, so I can you know, tell our guys, this is how you get better. This is the time of year. You're up north not playing golf, but you're not inside watching Oprah Winfrey. You're actually, actually practicing. You're actually doing something. And it's for two hours a day. 
it's not like you're in there eight hours a day. You don't need to be in there eight hours a day. Two, two and a half hours a day in the off season is, is plenty. Go back, study, go be in student groups, go back and do something, you know, explore other areas of, 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 of the world. Um, but reserve two, two to three hours a day in here. Commit to it. Be convinced, you know, be convicted in it. Concentrate, focus, and watch yourself get better. And as coaches, we monitor that. And then by, by, by February, you know, we're going outside. We were in Florida last weekend. We're back this weekend. We're going next weekend. Then we're back. And then we're gone for two straight weeks, weekends. So we're outside playing, but you work on the skills here. You go test them. You adjust. You evaluate the weekend. You come back. You address those issues. You work on them for four, five, six, seven, eight days in a row. See the progress. And I think that's a huge success. And then, and then I think this, this is a big, big plus for Northern schools, all the Big Ten schools. I'm a Big Ten fan. we got to stick together. We've had success in the Big Ten over <laughs> 10 years. But, but again, I'm, I'm rooting for the Big Ten teams, okay? And, and, and I believe this is an asset. This is an asset to, to be up here because come April and May and June when the cards are on the table and all the poker chips are out there and it's time to win your national championship and all the – nobody remembers an event in February, but they remember the Big Ten championship. They remember the regionals and nationals. When that time comes, we're just getting into stride, man. We are fired up. We're excited to be around each other. The girls mm-hmm. are out on campus in short shorts, and the trees are coming. <laughs> leaves are coming on the trees. You know, leaves are coming on the trees, and we're out there playing golf. We're fired up. Where a lot of schools in the South may be tired of each other come April and May by then. Yeah. They've been practicing every day with each other since February, January. They're getting burnt out. They're getting it just it, the process is long. It's a long semester, it really yeah. is. Well, mm-hmm. it's shorter for us, and I believe that um, that if you if if you have the right culture. And you have the right game plan, the right facilities, and the right mentality, and you couple it with talent. If you recruit the talent, I think this mindset, this is come April and May and June, where the events that matter, you're ready for them and you're playing. I mean, we won nine of the last ten Big Ten championships. Something we're very, very proud of. Nine of ten is something that that I never thought you could do. That's incredible. Um, now we've got some we've got some breaks along the way. There's been some great Big Ten teams, but we've answered the bell every year when you had to answer it. it to, to, to win a championship in golf, you, it's a one-weekend deal. It's not like a three-month deal where you have a season and you can play and maybe take a day off. If you have a bad week that week, you're not winning. So to win 9 out of 10 and finish second in the one we didn't, um, my guys, they rise to the occasion. They've built momentum through the year from January to February to March to April to May. You know, we've been to 11 straight national finals. You know, Texas is at 12. We're 11. I mentioned that earlier. That's something we're very proud of. Now, it could end this year. And I tell the guys, this you can never win. We can never win another Big Ten championship. It could end this year. We don't know. We could have. We we could. But that's what motivates us to keep going. We don't expect it, but we know that if we play well, we want to compete. We can win them, but we also know that we can lose them. And I think that's an important factor too. So I think the plan of the North of being in the North fits the personality of our program pretty well. All right, we're going to talk about some couple funny stories now, Mike. We need some good ones. You're asking me a funny story? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. From your time playing professionally or coaching? These are one of those things people tell me that I need to think more of because I trained myself <laughs> as a pro. As a pro, I was always, you know, again, I think this reason why maybe I got on the tour and I fizzled because I was so into what I was doing. It was me, myself, and my game every day. And I didn't have balance in my life. And I think that's maybe why I play better and I made more cuts on the PGA Tour and I made more money since I've been coaching. Because I have balance in my life. I'm better when I have things spreading me out. So back on the tour days, I mean, I didn't really think much about what I just did that day. I was on the next day. 
And when people ask me stories, I'm like, I got to think some of these things. But um, a funny story coaching I just told last week when I was speaking was that um, uh, we've all had these issues. You had them, I'm sure, Brad, when you were coaching. But, you know, some kids are we try to teach accountability and, and being in the moment. But, you know, we're all, we all make mistakes. We forget things all the time. But Thomas Peters one time on a trip, here's a national champion. He's a top player in the world. Um, we have to drive 40 minutes to the airport that day, which is in Bloomington. We decided to fly to Bloomington instead of Illinois. And Peters doesn't have either one of his bags with him. Oh, no. So, I mean, we're, the, and we're, we're, we're getting close to running this. Running the, he didn't have either one, not one or the other. He left him. He just left him. He's just so excited, happy guy to go on the trip. Forgot his golf bag and his clothes. So it was a friend of mine, a friend of his, Alex Burge, who, if you talk about a, a, the glue to a program, here's a kid who played for a couple of years, played in the national championship match for us. We lost Alabama. Um, played that whole year. His last two years, he didn't play because younger freshmen beat him out. But he made our team better through the culture and the leadership he showed. Here's a kid who's not in the lineup that gets the call and says, hey, um, Alex, his clubs and bag are in his, his car. We don't have the keys. You have to get the keys somehow <laughs> to this car. It's cold out. Get the keys somehow. Go get to this apartment. Find an extra set of keys. Go to the place. Get his keys. Get his golf bag. Right, and get into Bloomington in the next 35, 40 minutes. What's well, a 40-minute drive anyway? <laughs> well, Good luck. The kid did it. The kid did it. And, again, you know, Ace had to be there to really accept the funniness of it because I'm mad. I'm like, how are you doing this? You know, or the coach, the coach speak. You know, it's like, we got to get there. And the rest of the guys are kind of giggling because they love seeing him get in trouble. And you got birds trying to get there. I'm like, if this kid gets killed or gets in a wreck, you're in trouble. Because I didn't have birds do it. I'm not going to put that. Peter says, you got to get here for me. you got to save me. So it's just, it was just, it crescendo to the point where we're getting ready to get on there. And his bag shows up and they get it in there. And it's a, it's a story. It's a huge story. So it, 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 was, it was a big success story, if you will. That's a really good one. And then, you know, I've run out of gas three times, I think, driving the bus. You know, we always try to take to the limit and. You know, one time. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're all competitors, you know. I mean, I'm not a conservative guy. I'm not going to sit there. I can make it. So, yeah, so we can make it home, make it home. But one time we're coming to Champagne. You can see Champagne. You can see Champagne from 30 miles away. But we're getting close. You can see it's getting closer, getting closer. And all of a sudden, I, get, I said, oh, shoot, we're getting low on gas. <laughs> we're getting there. It starts, it starts, we're in these old, this is 10 years ago, in those old big turtle top buses we had to drive, you know. And we're driving, and the guys are, I see the ramp coming up. We're going to turn. It's like a mile and a half mile. The van starts to sputter. Boom, boom. We're getting there. We go up the ramp. We get up the ramp. And we're and everybody in the front of the bus, everybody in the front. So we run up the front to give us. We get up to the top, and it runs out of gas right on top of the stop sign if you come off the ramp of the interstate. And then down to the right, there's this gas station we saw. So we're trying to get to this gas station down to the right. So it's downhill. So we just got to get up over this hill. And the power steering's gone off because you're out of gas. And you're turning that thing in there. We get up over the ridge. And they start cheering like it's a Super Bowl. <laughs> yes, we're trying so hard. This has been building for five or ten minutes of making it. It's puttering. But we run out of gas on top. We get past the stop sign. So we're all downhill to the gas station. We're rolling down there. And they're cheering. They're high-fiving. I'm turning that <laughs> steering wheel to get into this gas station. There's the pumps. And I pull out the pump. Boom, right into the pump, perfect. And they're cheering, it's the greatest thing. <laughs> I pulled into the dang diesel pump. Not the oh, no. <laughs> so I, I couldn't get gas anyway. We had to we, we had to call somebody to move. No, I even had to call. I had to go get a had to go get a can to fill the gas up. The, the, the gas station didn't have a can. I had to go to the next gas station and get a can. So anyway, we filled the gas thing up, the, the car up with gas, the van, the van up with gas, and got home. 
But if I just would have pulled into the correct pump, we'd have been home like that. And it was an hour and a half later, we had to still get the gas. So anyway, stuff like that's funny. It happens all the time. The stories from the road, that's what it's all about. Yeah, it's just a couple funny things that come to mind. But we laugh all the time. And yesterday we played basketball in the afternoon um, at our facility, at the basketball team's facility. They were out of town and and we laughed and competed for two hours and and but that's that's a, I, I want to be able to have that i want to be able to laugh and have fun and um there's a time for that there's a time for competing there's a time for there's a time for crying there's a time for yelling there's a time for everything and um but you know we we laugh a lot and we have fun and and that that's what it's all about yeah well mike love this it. has been incredible this is going to be well received people are going to well, love this awesome well, thank you happy to help you out call anytime all right. Awesome. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. We'll, uh, we'll talk soon. All right. We'll see you guys. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Bye.